You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And today we're also joined by the training program director, Mason King. Uh, and so on today's episode, it is a lightning round Q&A. I would say there's not much lightning. We don't move fast through any of the questions, but we do try to get to many of the questions that you submitted. We are so grateful that you are listening and engaging with Knowing Faith. We could not be more excited about how it's going and enjoying just the opportunity to get to do this. We hope that it continues to encourage and bless you. Hey, a couple announcements before we jump into the show today. The first announcement is that Knowing Faith will be doing a live recording at the Proclaim Truth Conference. This conference will be January 25th, 2019 in Dallas, Texas. It's a conference where women gather together to be encouraged and equipped in the calling to cultivate a deeper passion for knowing God and making Him known. And it's not too late to register to attend. We have the opportunity to share with you a discount code. So if you would like a $20 discount on registering for the Proclaim Truth conference, you can use the promo code KNOWINGFAITH, all caps, all one word, KNOWINGFAITH. You can use that code to register, get $20 off the current registration rate. Uh, And then the second announcement that we have for you is starting in the spring, in February, when we begin to release new episodes in 2019, we, Knowing Faith, will be moving towards a weekly release format. And so a lot of listeners were saying, we love the podcast, we just wish that it was coming out every week. And so that is what we'll be doing in the spring of 2019 and going into the fall. We are so grateful that you have enjoyed listening and submitting questions to Knowing Faith, and we hope you enjoy the discussion on today's episode. Okay, so it turns out that for many of the episodes of Knowing Faith, we have mentioned show notes. Yeah, I got a question for the Mm Q&A. Where are they? It turns out they don't exist. Yeah. Uh, So a lot of you have emailed in (laughs) in the last month and said... Hey, real quick question. Um, where are these show notes you guys keep talking about? And I I just, it was kind of a name it, claim it moment for me. I this thought if I happen. just started talking about show it notes. It turns out Kyle does not have the power to speak things speech. into existence. Who knew? <laughs> I guess I just thought, okay, if I talk about show notes, our, just so you know, our resources department are like the Jedi masters yeah. of this stuff. So I thought like, oh, if I just say show notes enough times, <laughs> someone will pick it up and make them. Yeah, they're going to make these show notes. <laughs> it turns out that did not happen. And so what what I will tell you today as I bring you good tidings, maybe for those of you who care, but we are going to have the in, our, in, our intern yeah. go back through and, and do show notes, right? That That's right. That's what we're going to do. we decided on? Yeah. Well, you just spoke something into existence again. And, and you then, can actually speak it said, into existence if you actually assign it And when it I to said someone. our intern, I just reminded, I no longer work here. <laughs> <laughs> I have no interns at TVC because I'm not an employee. You, uh, wanna, you could be one. Really? Yeah, you want to be one? Are you hired? Yeah. <laughs> How's that church plan going? Yeah, I got a lot of extra time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you're hearing a fourth laugh in the room today, and we'd like to welcome Mason King. Hey, hello, everyone. Mason, who are you? Oh, that's a big question. Uh, hey, my name is Mason, and I am the training program director. I'm responsible for the training program and the residency here, which are two uh, environments in the institute where we're raising up and forming leaders in the life of the local church. Boom. He's also the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet, and his office is next to mine, so he's kind of like my therapist in residence, too. <laughs> yes, he is. He's a pastor's pastor. Yeah. He's incredible. But it's kind of fun. So 
I mean, I, when he's a pastor. We both. That's a really good description. It's true. Yeah, that, I've always said that about Mason yeah. King. That's really kind. Salute to you. I just saluted. So yeah, when I left yeah. Dallas and went to Fort Worth, you took my job. I did. And then I was in Fort Worth for five years, and then came up here. And when you left here, I took your job. It's oh, true. so great! It's it like, is. It's like Inception. It really is. Uh, it is a job within a job it within is. a job within a job. Within a job. Within a job. Um, no, we could not be more delighted to have Mason. Mason is a very able theologian. Um, he is a very able pastor. And we also just really like Mason. So. You should see his office, too. He has books everywhere. Everywhere. It looks like C.S. Lewis decorated it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Mason and I have joked, we have two different um, theories on, actually, JT has a lot of books in his office, too. You you do, too, Kyle. That doesn't sound like There's two well, different currently theories. I have no office. They're in a storage unit Kyle. There's two different theories on how you manage an office. And, and, and one is that you put all your favorite things in it. And the other is that you're ready to make a quick exit whenever you need to. And I will let you guess which one is my theory. <laughs> <laughs> now, mine feels like home. Yours is more like, hey, who office is here? Yeah. No, Jen could be out of there in a moment. And we actually, can we tell the story that we heard this week about there's a, a guy oh, yeah, who was in the IT awesome. profession and he had been laid off like four 14 times in wow. his career. Yeah. And every day he came to work with his briefcase and he would open his briefcase and take out two pictures of his family and put them on his, on his desk. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the day, he would put the pictures back in his in his briefcase and leave. Wow. He's like, I've just done it too many times. I'm done. I'm just ready to go. Oh, Travel and light. I don't know if that's a funny story or a tragic story. <laughs> Passing through. Uh, 14 generations. That was the generations from the deportation of Babylon to Christ. So maybe there's some symmetry in that guy's life. Yeah, could be. Maybe okay. he's the Messiah. Oh, <laughs> okay. sorry. I'm joking. Golly. Okay. Wow. Tough right. room. JT is in the penalty box for the <laughs> uh, Right when we needed him most. Listen, this is the Q&A episode. I can tell you the only thing that's been constant about the Q&A episodes is that they have been wheels off. And so, who knows? <laughs> Good. Thanks for inviting me in. Yeah, Mason. Welcome, welcome Mason. Ma- Mason's first time on the show. Uh, the Q&A episode. So, we, uh, for, this is, I guess, our third Q&A episode. Yeah. And um, we typically release them kind of at the end of the fall or the end of the spring. I think this is also a good time. Can I, can I announce this? I'm looking, can I announce our new format for the spring? I'm looking at the bay. Yes, I'm going to do it. Do it. Great. Speak it into existence. Guys, I have an exciting announcement. Do you guys want to hear it? I do. I do. Awesome. You already know it. Uh, Both of you already know it. All of you already know it. This is the exciting announcement. Starting in 2019, Knowing Faith will move to a series of weekly releases. So uh, we will release episodes, and I think this this will begin in February, if I'm not mistaken. We will begin releasing four episodes a month. So we will release them weekly. That will happen in February, March, March. April and then in May, over the course of the summer, we'll uh, we'll release two or more kind of special episodes. that will be like minisodes, uh, and then we will go back into the fall. But from this point forward, until we make a new change or make another change, uh, we are going to be doing weekly recording. Uh, not weekly recording. Oh gosh, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> hang on! I love it when I get to see you. We will be doing weekly. Re- uh, Releasing hey. of Knowing Faith episodes. That's exciting. I'm so excited That's about that. That's great. And the reason we're doing this is because one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we get from listeners like yourself is, man, we really wish these podcasts were releasing every week. And so we have a blast doing them. Uh, it doesn't actually create much more work for us to release it in this way. And so we're glad that you are listening to Knowing Faith. And we hope that you'll continue to listen to Knowing Faith and enjoy it. Uh, we enjoy doing it. So 
exciting. Yeah, I'm going to say this too. I wasn't planning on saying this, but like, uh, first of all, props to you for creating Knowing Faith. Oh. You came into our office a year ago, mm-hmm. and Jen and I were like, no our way. Our response was negative. We're not doing yeah. this. I did pitch it initially as a Jen Wilkin podcast. Yeah. That was, I, initially, I initially campaigned for Knowing Faith <laughs> under the premise of Jen Wilkin. <laughs> oh. I'm all for that. Yeah. I'm all for that. Um, so, but we were like, no, we can't do this. This is going to be way too much work. It hasn't been. Our jobs are a lot of work because we love our jobs. Yeah. We are so passionate about the Bible and theology and seeing a whole person formed in the context of the church. That's right. Uh, which is awesome. I can't believe I get to give, them, that we get to do this mm-hmm. together, the four of us, uh, along with the, the rest of our team and uh, the church staff here. But this podcast has really kind of hit a, a nerve with people in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And I just get so much feedback on this. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to say thank you to people who are listening. And yeah. they almost feel like, like, especially on a Q&A podcast, it feels like conversation partners. Yeah. Because yeah. whether it's on social media or sometimes emails, like we are grateful that you're listening and we're grateful that it's ha- impactful. And when you ask questions and interact with us, it feels like you're a part of the conversation with us too. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Love doing it. And it's also, like, I'm sorry we were negative when you came and asked us if we wanted to do it, Kyle. I'm not. I, I make Kyle work for things. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. <laughs> um, uh, our, our department has a, uh, a phrase that we use fairly often, which is the, the best argument wins. Yep. And, and uh, you won one. I won one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two years. <laughs> one argument. Why, do you, why are you not here anymore? Yeah, for that reason. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, okay, so Q&A episode. You submitted questions. We've done this. This is our third time. Um, and the, the way that we've done this is like we'll tweet out a link and say, hey, you can submit a question. I think it's a Slido link. I think it's how it's built out. Uh, we'll do this again in the future. You're always welcome to email us and say, hey, um, you know, I've got this thought or this question. Because a lot of times what I'll do, because I get a lot of those emails, is I'll just respond and say, hey, we've got a Q&A episode coming up, and we actually fold those questions into that. So some of you emailed me a month ago, two months ago, with questions that we're now dealing with today. Uh, and so thank you for your patience on that. Um, it just makes sense to, to treat some of these questions within the context of this episode. These questions are probably more so than any episode, Q, Q&A episode we've done are really scattershot today. They're just kind of across the board. And I think that'll keep it fun because some of the things that we may talk about are things you're like, I really want to talk about that. There might be other things you're like, okay, I, I'm not necessarily as interested in that question. And so I think for every listener today, there will be a part a question or two that you might find really helpful or really interesting to consider. And so we're going to jump right in. The first question we got was concerning Matthew 24, 32. Um, actually, Mason, you've, I feel like you've got it open. Would you read Matthew 24, 32 through 35? Can you do that for us? This is the right reference because I'm looking at it thinking it's 36. Oh boy. We're um, off to a great start, folks. Yep, here yeah, we it's, go. It's 36. It's 36, yeah. <laughs> could, but, yeah could you read the 24 or 32 through 30? 36, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Okay. So, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So, also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things, things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. 
Okay, first off, you've got a great radio I was going to say, he's got wow. a future with NPR if this doesn't work Ooh, out. Man, I was like, come on. He also has a little cold he's going on. He's got a little bit of cold yeah. going yeah. on. So yeah. I got yeah. it. Yeah. It was sultry, man. I like that. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I've you ever been called that. Closer. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, By your coworker. <laughs> hey, I think that's a, a perfect HR is term. just down this. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Here we go. Got weird. Matthew, so. Yeah, so in light of Matthew 24, 32 through 36, the question is, if the Father and the Son are one. Okay, this is somebody doing good Trinitarian theology. Here. Thank you. Thank you for good Trinitarian questions. If the Father and the Son are one, how does only the Father know the hour these things shall come to pass? So we kind of talked about this in our last podcast. Okay. So the person who asked this question didn't have the chance to listen to the, that podcast yet because it hasn't released yet. True. But let's try to see if we can do it again. So you made a point in the last podcast that I think is exactly right. All Christian theology is founded upon Trinitarianism, and then I would say on Christology. So the relationship between these two things are super important. So the question here is, how, do the, how does the Father know things and the Son, or Jesus, not know things? Wait, and let me back up. Go ahead. All theology is based on how we understand the Trinity and how we understand who Christ is. That's right. I was just backing away from our $5 words a little bit. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so, so and, and maybe even to do that again. Who is God? Who right. is God? Right. Yeah. Who is God? It's the first question every yeah. time. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Who's God? And the relationship between, because God, we would say, is three persons, one essence, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all totally divine, sharing in essence, worthy of worship, honor, glory, adoration, affection, yep. obedience. The Son becomes incarnate in history and takes upon a human nature. Yes. And that's the person we're talking about here. Yep. It's the person who is both God and both man. And so... Uh, there is a concept in theology, in Christology, called the communication of attributes. And so the way I like to think of this, it's not, it's an imperfect way to think of it, but it helps me think about it because I kind of learn visually. Think of like a Venn diagram with two circles and the overlapping part in the middle is the person. And on the left, you have human attributes. Everything that's true about humanity is true about Jesus, except sin. So right. he grows weary. He's hungry. Mm-hmm. He uh, does not know things. Right. He has to learn. He has to grow in stature and wisdom, the Bible tells us. So everything that you have, he's tempted, right? Everything that you have experienced in your life, he experienced in some way, shape, or form and can identify with, except sin. Right. The other side of the Venn diagram is divine attributes, things like omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence. He, is, he knows all things. He is everywhere present. He is entirely and totally powerful everywhere in the cosmos. He is holy. He is set apart. He is divine. The key when it comes to communicating attributes is you can't communicate attributes from humanity to divinity or divinity to humanity. So in other words, we would not say Jesus's humanity was fully present everywhere right? because he is located, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a body. In a body. Yeah. But we would say his divinity is everywhere. So we don't communicate nature to nature. We communicate both natures to the person. Right. Now, I know this this is... So it took me three years of seminary to figure out this question. Right now, people are drawing this out. Yeah, they're like, I have no idea what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. But we... So the simple answer is everything that you can say about divinity, you can say about Jesus. Everything you can say about humanity, except sin, you can say about Jesus. So... When you come to a question like, how come Jesus doesn't know things? Right. He doesn't. And he does. Right. It is, it is the most paradoxical thing, in, at least in my experience in theology, 
because at the same time he doesn't know the day or the hour, he knows the day or the hour. Okay. Okay. So I just want to make sure that I'm like, we were talking after the last episode and I was like, I just get really quiet on these parts because I feel like if I, if I'm teaching on it, I can nail down what I need to say for that teaching. But <laughs> beyond that, I get Off super, yeah, I yeah. cannot, we were said, I cannot riff on this topic mm-hmm. and JT probably could more than anybody else in the room. So, but what you're saying, I'm, I've got my little Venn diagram in my head. Mm-hmm. And so the overlapping portion is, is mystery. Person. No, I would call it person. It's person, but it's a mystery how those things overlap. Is that accurate to say? Yeah. It's outside of our our experience and perception of humanity. Right. Because it is his communicable attributes being put into the person of Christ. And so it's not what we can relate to completely because it's not us. Right, right, right. So So, here's here's my problem practically. Like when I'm talking about Mm -hmm. these things or teaching about these things, because I've run into this before where I'm asking JT a question about it and I keep getting it wrong, which is not, I mean, he's nice about it, but like that's why I'm always hesitant. So when you read this particular passage where it says that, you know, he doesn't know, can I say we're living in that circle of the Venn diagram or do I have to say, because you've said to me, JT, and tell me if I'm remembering this wrong, that there's never a time where you would say, we're just looking at Jesus' humanity. Right. So, uh, but there are times where it showcased more. Yeah. In, like, in tell me how to, way. how would you articulate that? Because that's what most people are wondering, I think. Yeah. So this gets hard because we're not doing a podcast on church history, but mm-hmm. the first 400 years of the church were given over to answering questions like this. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have the Bless church. their hearts. Right. And, and, here's, and here's what's incredible. And I mean, this is maybe just, this, this makes me feel better about the career path of John. <laughs> is, is the first 400 years of theology is Trinitarianism and Christology because they were trying to answer and ask the most significant and important questions for the Christian life. Mm-hmm. And they'd nail some of these things down, not because they were sitting in an ivory tower, but because they were pastors and ministers and doing right. ministry among people. Yeah. And who God is and how he relates to the world, is there's just nothing more important to that. Mm-hmm plug for doing a systematic theology PhD. Received. Uh, but, so back to your question, Jen. Um, will you restate it one more time? How do we read something, how do we read, like Kyle says that there are places where his humanity is showcased. Yes. yes and that's yes, yes, different yes, yes, yes. than yes, saying, yeah. look, we're seeing him in his humanity. Like my, I, I kind of think I had learned probably erroneously because I was left to my own devices mm-hmm, a lot of times mm-hmm. to say, well, in his humanity, we see him in his humanity, operating in his humanity. Right, right. Right. Look at Jesus weeping. He's so human. He's so, He's human. so human. Right. right. Yeah, so that is, historically, there's a heresy called Nestorianism. That's the one. I love that guy. Which emphasizes and and so kind of separates Christ's natures that it almost becomes two people, like two acting people. Like, here's Jesus in his humanity uh, weeping. Here's Jesus in his divinity walking on the water. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about like active verbs or like Jesus doing something, we're never talking about nature. We're always talking about person. So we're communicating both human and divine attributes to the one person who is both human and divine. Yeah. So we could say in a passage like this, Jesus or the son doesn't know something because the son is now both the God man. Yeah. And, and the, he knows and doesn't know. And the knowledge component makes this more difficult. Let me give you another example from the, uh, from the words of Jesus uh, that maybe <clears throat> will be more readily apparent because it maybe it'll feel more tangible. But like when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, well, hold on. So he's speaking of himself but how, in what way is he saying before Abraham was, I am? Mm-hmm. It, he's certainly not saying that before Abraham physically existed, I physically existed in flesh. 
That's not what he's saying. Right. He's saying that, listen, I am the son of God in flesh. Before Abraham was, I existed because mm-hmm. I'm eternal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, that's not that's something you would not say of his human nature. Right. But it is something that would be true of his divine nature. And yet Jesus subscri- ascribes it to his whole person. This is also true. I mean, this gets really tricky and complex, but talking about the crucifixion. Yeah. Does God die or does the son die in at the cross? The son experienced a human death. <laughs> Buckle up. Yeah, right. I'm serious. This is important. It is. If yeah. God dies uh, at the cross, we have a massive problem on our hands. Right. Mm-hmm. Or well, if, we would know. Or right. Actually, we wouldn't know well, like anything because we well, wouldn't exist. Well, what would have happened if the son would have died? <laughs> right. Everything, like the world would have collapsed in upon itself Unraveled. because the Bible says that he holds all things in existence. Exactly. So the, the, the son does not die. That and, the, that and the father would have been separated and severed from the son. From the spirit, yeah, we would so, have disrupted so, Trinitarian <laughs> fellowship. But yeah. he absorbs in himself a human death. Right. And experiences a very real, real tragedy. And that's what's important here when we're talking about these two Venn diagrams, whether it's knowledge or death or hunger or it's existence. real. Yeah. Like he really does not know. Yeah, because he's human. There's it's not an- like a yeah, but he kind of knew. There's another answer that has <clears throat> that often gets uh, thrown out here uh, to this question, and I'll throw it out here just because some people would take this response, which is that what the son is doing here is exercising. Uh, it's an earthly exercising of his eternal submission to the father. So, il- so it's an illustration. Then. It's an illustration. It's a, it's a parable almost. It's an illustration. Or it's essentially, it's an earthly playing out of something that was happening. This is what we call eternal functional subordination. I'm not. I'm not on board. I, n- I know you're not on board. I'm throwing <laughs> out face, 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 face. You should see his face it's right a, now. It's, 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 it's a, a, a throw my pen. Here's the deal. I bring it up because it's a very real position. It is. It that is. is expressed in maybe the most wide-selling systematic theology book. And, and held by, by both men and women that I've learned from love and respect right. and... And I'm grateful for. Yeah, and whose Christian witness is fruitful and faithful. Incredibly. Yes. And his ministry so is the, worth so emulating. This is a, a position that would essentially suggest that what's happening with the son here is he's expressing that there are things that the son receives from the father by fiat, by rule, yeah. by submission. Yeah. That is another position. Yeah. It's, I don't think that this, that position is held in this room. You used to hold it. You I don't hold it anymore? Hold, no, I don't. Oh, man. Yeah, I did used to hold the position. And I still, I would still say I'm sympathetic to it. I get sympathetic to it yeah, because not, of these passages. Sure. Because for people, it is, very, it, it is a little bit simpler, a little bit easier, mm-hmm. a little bit more straightforward to go, well, of course, the, the son is in submission to the father. There are things that the father has not yet disclosed to the son and one day will. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this. I think your use of the word mystery was helpful. You know, last night we were teaching on the Davidic covenant in the training program. Mm-hmm. And I get some questions around Second Samuel where it's, okay, well, God regretted, God relented. Right. God, God was regretting that he made Saul king. And so we were talking mm-hmm. through this. And, you know, Kyle, the, the Calvin's use of accommodation language and kind of his, uh, his lisping. Yes. It's helpful for point. me. And it might be something that as we get to and talk about other questions here, but the necessity of black and white thinking. <laughs> and then when we, when we begin to think about the... Uh, in our experience, we just hate gray and we hate any right. type of mystery. And so we want to be able to lock things down, black right. or white. And you get to things like this. And when you get to the middle of that Venn diagram, and it's, the point I was trying to make earlier is it's outside of our human experience. Right. But for us to take the divine and try to nail down in our human experience, we want black and white. Right. And so it's all one, it's all full tilt or not. And to be able to say like, man, there's something here that's a mystery. It's the incarnated Christ. Right. Outside of our experience and grasp. And so there is just something where we just kind of bow our heads and say, yeah. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. I've said, I think I've said this before, but there's, and I think this is from Tozier, um, which is whose content I'm usually ripping off. But he, he says um, that anytime you have the intersection of the human and the divine, you find mystery mm-hmm. in that intersection. And I think that's what your Venn diagram um, is, is illustrating in some sense, JT. And I think we, we felt this when we talked about providence. It was the same idea that mm-hmm. the whole um, man chooses and God chooses and how do those two things work together? Well, where those two things bump against each other, there's mystery. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, here's where I struggle with this. Yeah. Uh, with, you're right. Mason, you're right. Jen, you're right. But let me just tell you, like, um, when I'm teaching this, like, <clears throat> is there mystery here? Absolutely, 1,000%, yes. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to think about the balance between language of mystery and language of revelation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, there, so, like, what we don't want to do, and what I don't want you to hear saying is that you all, can't all of this it, just is move just on. mysterious. Yeah. That's not yeah. a cop-out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it's not, and you're not saying it that way. Yeah. But like when, whenever it comes to Trinitarianism or Christology, I feel like that's the first instinct mm-hmm. rather than saying what the Bible does reveal to be true, mm-hmm. what right. the creeds Let's fight have for what taught we can us. See. Yeah. And so like sure. the way I think of it is like the, the Bible and church history has provided boundaries for us mm-hmm. to say, to go, it's almost like a, like a soccer field or a basketball court or football. Like there's, there's end zones, there's sidelines. You cannot go out of those because that's off limits. Mm-hmm. That's off the field. So we're not Nestorians, we're not Arian, whatever. Those things are off limits. On the field is actually a great deal of room. Yeah. And that's where mystery can still lie. Yeah. But mystery does not allow us to then kind of move off of the grid. Does well, that and, make sense? Yeah, and some things are just hard. They're not mysterious. Right. Yeah. And you're not going to go... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. Like some, that's a good point. Some things are just hard to understand. And, and this is not to say like, uh, oh, just work a little bit harder and you'll get it. It's just to say that there are some things that are just difficult concepts. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, so like it just... I think sometimes, you know, you, uh, especially in a culture that's like, oh, I don't get it after 30 minutes. It's like, well, neither did the church after mm-hmm. 400 Maybe years. you should just keep reading. Maybe yeah. you could keep fighting for it a little right. bit. Right, just, just a little <laughs> bit. And not to say that once you find... Like, you're probably never finally going to be like, I got it all. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's kind of my point in, in, in that is you should push to to gain clarity, but you should do so not expecting that you're going to arrive. Yeah. That's my thing is like live in the tension of I can't, I, I will not unravel this mystery during my lifetime, but I'm going to die trying. Mm-hmm. That's good. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World as Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold.
we're gonna move forward. Okay. We spent about ten minutes on that question. Well, and we've got a good question. seven others. It was a great one. <clears throat> um, let's do this one. How should I'm, I'm gonna skip around here? You guys see that? How should we as Christians approach the topic of gluttony and personal health? How should we prioritize exercise and healthy food choices? Hmm. I'll tell you, I am not an authority on this topic. Oh, not an authority. This, this is topic. a as someone who has done women's ministry for about two decades, this is a big topic. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is to ask the wrong question. It's how healthy should I be instead of what are my motives for whatever behavior I'm engaging in. And that changed the whole conversation for me once it became a question of the why instead of the what or how much or how often. Uh, I thought about it differently and I learned to speak about it differently. There, And I've learned as a woman in ministry, I will never comment on my own personal health or my weight or my, you know, and I will never speak to some another woman about like, oh, did you lose weight? You look amazing. Because I remember reading an article in the New York Times years ago, and a woman was talking about how she had lost her husband. And in, in as she was grieving, she dropped 15 pounds. And that as people were coming to share their condolences with her, almost without um, exception, they would lean in and say, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. By the way, you look amazing. Yeah. And so that is sign of her grief. Yeah, that is the that is the the real touch point for me as particularly doing ministry among women is you never know what is driving someone's particular um, size or shape at a particular stage of life. And it's it's really not your business unless you know them extremely well. Mm -hmm. And um, so we have to be very careful about assigning uh, a motive to to an outward uh, um, an outward uh, appearance of health or unhealth of health or unhealth. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really layered question. Yeah. So somebody came to you and was like, "Listen, Mason, you know, I feel like I've I feel like I've been indulging in gluttony. Like I've been a poor steward yeah. of my like of, of my body, of my physical body. What, like how where do you start with that? Man, I think about this, you know, I've got three kids under 5. And even as we think about what we feed them, but the habits that we have in our home. And I mean, my boy at three, he's just, he's a, he's a big kid. And as I pick him up, I think, oh, I need to go and work out so I can pick him up as he gets older. But even I look and I think about spending time with my grandchildren. And I, I'm really trying to think through, if I have this conversation with someone saying, hey, if you want to steward your life for the long haul, and steward the body God's given you, how are you handling that with a, with a vision towards the future? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to live in moderation, if you're going to make choices, you're going to have fun, you're going to enjoy the good things God has given you. I mean, you have the gift of taste buds, goodness. So enjoy them. Mm-hmm. But I've made a concerted effort in my life to say, I've got to work out X number of times a week and sweat X amount because I want to be able to be strong at a certain point in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I do have friends who have not taken care of themselves and I've watched them later in their life and, you're, and I've seen okay, well, there are some consequences to those choices when they're short-sighted. In ministry, I've had conversations with people where it's, oh, I don't have time to take care of myself because I'm so busy doing this. And it really, for me, that's a conversation of motivation, like Jenna said also of, all right, well, let's have a conversation where your identity is lying. Because if you are thinking you, the, what you are producing is so important that you can't take care of stewarding yourself and you're living on poor, uh, poor 
food and caffeine, then you really are putting yourself into a ditch it's going to be hard to get out of. Mm -hmm. And you need to consider what God's given you. And I really, I I find, uh, you know, I went off coffee and went off a few things a couple years ago because I just found I was a nicer person. And then I realized like there were dietary changes I could make and I would be a, I would actually just be a better husband and a better father and a better Mm -hmm. friend by paying attention to it and by exercising regularly. Helps me with my anxiety, helps me with different things. Um, But I think there's choices you make as you learn the body that God's given you and you think about how you want to use that body as you move forward in life. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from both of you guys is to the answer to the question, how should we as Christians approach this topic in particular? It should be uh, very carefully, Mm -hmm. very gently, uh, almost never prescriptive. Yeah. Right. And that we should be looking at people. Right. Uh, And not projecting like, okay, this is it for everyone. Like it should be individuated. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's totally true. I affirm that. Okay. One, one thing I would maybe, I'm not sure if this is, if you guys would affirm this or not, but <clears throat> in some conversations I've had around this, this is advice I would give, not just around uh, like a topic like gluttony and health issues, but also just spiritual disciplines in general. It's just introducing the category that discipline brings freedom, yeah. not mm-hmm. slavery. That's right. Yeah. And so whether it's this or Bible reading or prayer, life, to, right. to create kind of habits, rituals, and disciplines around this actually creates freedom. It doesn't. It does not create bondage. Well, I think even when you when you talk about gluttony, what that is is going outside the limit of appetite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so if you're if you recognize being a creature who's given limits, like actually if I eat a certain amount of food and stay within my limit, my body can function. And when I go outside of my limits, which I know to how to do. And I just want to shut down and take a nap, or I can't function well for the afternoon. We all make the joke if we go out to lunch and we have a big meal, like you're not you're not going to have a productive afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's because right. there's actually limits for your body on what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, I, and yeah. you know, again, going back to the question of motive, how do you view your body? Your body is a means by which you perform the ministry of Christ. Yeah. And so then, is the way I'm treating it making me better at being the hands and feet? Of, mm-hmm. of Jesus, or is it making me worse? Yeah, I think that, yeah, this has been super helpful. Uh, so moving forward here, as Christians, are we able to live without sinning? Are we able to live without sinning? Mason, what, what do you think? I don't think so. Okay. Great. <laughs> that's, that's really encouraging. I don't think so either. Why do I you? Do. Jesus said, be perfect for I am perfect. Oh, wow. Here we go. Here we go. Here right. Here we no, you've put in the order so you can clock back in. Well, that's right. where the question's coming from, right? Right. Well, that or just the... Be uh, holy for I am holy. Right, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Are, so are we... I guess, I guess, well, in some sense, are Christians able to live without sinning? I mean, you could live, you can live moments, minutes, hours... Right, yeah. you you can go yeah. without sinning. I think about that when I hear this question, and I feel like this is one of the most. This is Augustine, man. You've done this. We do this in the training program. We, we are able to not sin. Yeah, right. So we've done this before in the doctrine of original sin. That in uh, the Garden of Eden, we were created able to sin. Four categories. Right, right. Yeah, Garden of Eden. Able number to, one, able to sin. Able to not sin. Able to not sin. Excuse me. Yes. Uh, uh, Post fall, not able to not to sin. not sin. Uh, redemption. Uh, able to not sin. Able to not sin. And then new creation. Not able to, not sin. Able to sin. So can we talk about the tense of this question? Because I think that's what's getting me. Yeah. So if this is like, and I I was not a good enough Greek student in this, but if you're thinking of trying to parse this word before like, you yeah. live without doing it, is it an instance? Is it 
perfected moving forward? I think like, I, I would read it in the more hard form of the question of like, like a Wesleyanism. Yeah, like a perfect. You could live a perfect life following. Like at yeah, some point, that's you how could I read get it. to bliss. And I think of uh, what uh, John says in First John. I love this phrase, and this is often where I go whenever I'm trying to answer this question. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, yeah. uh, I appreciate you, the if. Well, we have an advocate <laughs> with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So that 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 turn of I'm writing these things to you because I do not want you to sin. Yeah. But if you do, mm-hmm. right? But if you do, if anyone does sin, you have an advocate. Well, and I think it's important for the distinction of sin and temptation. Right. So the act of committing sin versus the temptation, temptation is going to come. And so mm-hmm. you do have the power to withstand temptation and not sin. And that is something given to us in Christ. Right. Absolutely. Right. So like you're kidding yourself if you say, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't say no to this. I couldn't resist. Yeah, you could have. Yeah. And I mean, like my, my practical answer to the question, are we able to live without sinning is, well, it doesn't hurt to try. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I hope you want to live without sinning, right? And right. I, I get that that is not the heart of the question, but at the end of the day, that's what we're up against is um, we should learn to hate sin yeah. increasingly to the point that we really want to live perfect lives, even though we know we will not this side of glory yeah. and that there is always grace. Yeah, it's not a fatalistic. It's just going to happen, so it's, right. you know, it's inevitable. Right. I but might as well uh, just, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be faithful and follow Christ as much as I can. And our little subculture has to push back on this because we've got a lot of really terrible things in the water. Uh, and I feel like I feel like this has been going on forever. It has, just from, like, you think about the marrow controversy, but, uh, but, but since then, it has been a point of dialogue in the, in the reformed theological community. It's often talked about between antinomianism mm-hmm. and legalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tension here is that in our little subculture, a lot of times, there is this idea of like, well, all of my righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't really choose righteousness. I really can't be obedient. You know, no one is righteous. No, not one. Mm-hmm. I'm a terrible, dirty, wicked sinner. These kinds of things. Now, is it true that we are sinners who are once saved by grace? Yes, but we have been saved, given a new set of desires, and can choose righteousness. Mm-hmm. Now, will we live without sin? No. No. We won't. Mm-hmm. But can we live obediently? Yes. 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 Titus 2, well, 11 through 13. Grace right. teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live lives that are zealous to do good works. Right. The, all, the Sermon on the Mount. The mm-hmm. Book of James. Mm-hmm. And you think about the fact that you are made in the Imago Dei, able to represent his communi- like God's communicable attributes, the fruit of the Spirit in mm-hmm. your life. And so this is an ongoing process of Christ being formed in you. And you're going to grow into a person who it's easier for you to do the thing that's, things that Christ commands of us. This, right. Willard says that. He says, yep. like, you're, you're practicing disciplines to help it be easier for you to obey Christ in the long run. Uh, well, that's a good, you know, that's a really good point. It's like the more I give in to sin, the more likely I will give in to sin again. And so yeah. one of the reasons that we want to say no to sin is by making repetition of saying no. We actually, and this is the disputed point. By the power of the Spirit, we actually get better at saying no yes. to sin. Yeah. Yes. We are sanctified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Further conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you, if you're listening to this and you're somebody who really is struggling and that 
it's been tough for you to fight sin or battle sin or battle temptation, let me just tell you, it's not just that you can obey, it's that obedience is better. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just, I want, because I, I feel like in this conversation, a lot of times we, we can go like, well, can I or can't I? Like, will I or won't I? And it's, and I, and I want you to hear that it's not just that you can obey uh, or not just that one day you will obey. It's that if you obey today, it is better. That's right. That yeah. obedience is not just the right way, and it's not just the possible way, like theologically, it's the better way. Right. It's flourishing in life. Exactly. I mean, so that's, it's not too dissimilar from the question, the last question and the answer, is you're learning to live as a creature within the limits that your maker has set out mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that's what it is, and knowing that right. he knows what life is supposed to be and what flourishing is, so admitting your creaturely status and humbling yourself and knowing, okay, God knows the way I should go, he's going to lead me into life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. All right, one more question before lightning round. Does God speak to us through thoughts in our mind? For example, we ask God something, and the first thought that pops in our head, is it from him? Okay, so somebody's asking this question. Does God speak to us through thoughts in our mind? So, like, I'm praying, and let's read the best form of this question, Mm -hmm. which is, I am really wanting to honor the Lord, okay? I'm really trying to seek the Lord. I've got a big question. Let's make it something pretty horizontal, a big career decision or a big relationship question, okay? And I'm coming before the Lord and I'm asking him, God, what should I do about X? And then boom, I've got a thought in my mind. Is that from God? Should I immediately go, okay, I I did not have that thought a moment ago. I asked something, I now have this thought. Is this God answering this prayer? Is he giving me a response? Is he giving me what to think? Is he speaking to me through thoughts in my mind? So if the question is, does God do this? I think the answer is unequivocally, absolutely, yes. He does do this. Uh, When God does it and if God is doing it is is another question entirely. And so just because you're praying and and, and like the whole scenario you just laid out, I'm not going to relay it out. A thought comes into your mind. It is entirely possible, maybe even likely, that this is God interacting with you and encouraging you or giving you an answer to your prayer and your thought life. But this must be tested against scripture must be talked about with Christian community, mm-hmm. asked for further kind of evidences, confirmations, those kinds of mm-hmm. things. But, but oh, oh my goodness, if the answer to this is no, what despair are we in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the answer to this question must be mm-hmm. absolutely yes. He does do these things. He is uh, fatherly. He is with us. He is listening. He's caring. He's communicating with us. He's caring for us. He's indwelling us by the power of the Holy Spirit, prompting us, nurturing us, and speaking with us. I mean, so you shot me a look. I'm just guessing it might have been about our year. Hmm. No? Oh, no. no? But feel free to. Uh, so, I mean, I had to make this decision this spring. And it was, yeah. hey, leave your hometown, leave a place where you've yep. been, and uh, really go to a new town <laughs> and take a job. And, I mean, Kyle, you were the first person to talk to me about this job. And I was like, hey, I'll pray about it. And I really, I was like, uh, I'm not sure that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, but when it when, but, when push came to shove, and it really came down to... Uh, the Lord met me in some really unique ways in mm. prayer. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I felt and heard confirmation from the Lord in different ways mm-hmm. that I knew, okay, like you were leading me. You're saying this is the way walking mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it wasn't, hey, here's the next 10 steps. It was do this one. Right. The next now, I'm, 
my personality, I think it helps when you're trying to make decisions and you're hearing things like this in your personality. Uh, I can be bent towards uh, consensus gathering mm-hmm. in Enneagram 6. So that's what I do that often. I have to know the, the light and shadow of that. But it was really interesting to have the community confirm it in different ways for reasons that I knew the Lord was doing work in me separate from the conversation. Right. And so it was, it was just a helpful thing to go, okay, Lord, you're confirming this on a number of levels and it's not just a random word that I'm hearing. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is that um, the Lord would not tell you to do something that was not wise. His character is to be wise. That's right. And so when you're evaluating it, is this a wise thing that, you know, we've talked about you do it in community, you look for, you know, things that are that are backing up the wisdom of this decision. And I would just say, I, the reason I dropped that in is because I have heard a line of thinking around this, that the more counterintuitive the thing is that pops into your head, the more likely it is that it's from the Lord. Yeah. Like the more right. absurd or mm. unexpected the harder thing it is. is. Thing. Yeah, and, and so I would just push against that. I'm yeah. not going to say that it's never the case that what you hear is, you know, out of the box first sounds like, why would I ever do that? And then over time you begin to see the wisdom of it. But just because it is counterintuitive does not mean that it is more likely to have come from the Lord. Mm -hmm. I would say it actually is probably less likely. That's good. All right, lightning round. Here we go. With the time that we have remaining. Okay, so what I'm gonna do with these is I'm gonna throw it out there. And we're going to start with just a like a yes, no, yes, no, like just around the table. And if the room is divided, oh, then we'll go like, oh, yeah, let's talk about it real quick. And if it's not, then we'll just go, okay, but why? All right? Okay. We'll do this. Age of accountability. JT, yes, no. Yes. Mason. Yeah. Yes. Don't care. Cool. That's how I feel too. Jen's, Jen's answer. Don't care. You okay. don't care? Well, I, it's not that I don't care about the heart behind <laughs> the question. It's that I don't, I think, I do not think that the question <laughs> is conclusively answered in Scripture. Yeah. Um, I agree but, with but, that. Yeah, I agree with that, too. That oh. doesn't mean you can't have a conclusive answer by using wisdom and theological judgment. This hey, can, is a just, question. Just because we've thrown out the term, can you want to give a couple sentences around oh, yeah, that for sure. the person oh, who's like, good. what yeah. is the age of accountability? Thank you, Mason. Thank you. Um, broadly, age of accountability would be the idea that there's a time in which a, uh, a individual, um, a, a person, becomes accountable to being able to confess Christ as Lord. That sometimes it's... Um, the their cognitive ability like there's a time in which they are able Mm -hmm. to reason through what that proclamation actually means or there's a moral ability Mm -hmm. typically it's like a synthesis of all of those things like their reasoning ability their moral sensibility and their kind of emotional maturity to be able to 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 be able to meaningfully say christ is lord and are there traditions or denominations that hold to this view yeah i was in a church that said the age was eight okay there's like, like honestly, there's probably a tradition <laughs> that holds to f- yeah. like every age imaginable. Mm-hmm. There's probably one that holds a 13. I've heard that the age in which uh, you know uh, Jewish boys would experience essentially manhood is the like projected age of accountability, mm-hmm. or it's so, different for every person. I, I'm I'm more comfortable in this tradition, not like picking an age, but kind of use the term synthesis of like kind of saying there is a time we don't know exactly when it is so i i I do want to say i said i don't care and that's that was my lightning round version of saying you know there's a pastoral concern here right and that the person who's asking this who has lost a young child yeah absolutely cares about this and i i totally empathize and understand that um and and you know the consistent answer that that person we end up turning to someone in that situation is can I trust the Lord mm-hmm. and the answer is yes yes and so that, take that off the table right but practically speaking 
uh, like with regard to my own children, the reason I say don't care is because I would not interact differently with my child based on whether I thought they were below or above some age of accountability. I would interact with them the same way yeah. around spiritual matters regardless. So that is, that's how I would say my response is shaped. Yeah. I, and, and I would agree with that, with the, uh, which I think is implicit in what Jen is saying with the primary, like, uh, engine here being that ultimately God does this saving work. God is going to save his people. Mm -hmm. um, and that we, I think, have great scriptural support to suggest that God is going to be uh, that God is going to be gracious and merciful to the most vulnerable among us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, like conclusively yep. beginning to end in scripture, the ministry of Jesus, I, like everything in scripture indicates that yes. God is gracious and merciful and it has, is particularly mm -hmm. inclined to the vulnerable among us, which would include mm -hmm. children, which would include those whose cognitive faculties are not functioning yep. at a place where they may be able to think through everything mm -hmm. that they, they can proclaim or are called to proclaim. Mm -hmm. And so I think that my response to you, I, I don't know that the, the question is of great value, is I feel like oftentimes it be uh, the there are two groups that care about this deeply. One, that have lost children. Mm -hmm. And to them, I say, God mm -hmm. is gracious and merciful, mm -hmm. and particularly to the vulnerable among us. Um, and then there are those outside of this who are looking back and going, is there a time in which my child has become accountable? And I right. didn't know. Right. So. Any, any Boy, the lightning round is not very lightning like. Apparently it's eight. No. <laughs> <laughs> Lord's Supper. Who, uh, who takes it. it, how often, and why? JT. Baptized Believers Weekly. Baptized Believers Weekly, Mason. I would say Baptized Believers and traditions do it differently. I prefer weekly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're all on the same page with there. Baptized Believers Weekly, why? I mean, just... Uh, so we, we've, as often as you gather. Okay. As often, right. Because yeah. Jesus says, hey, as often as you gather. Mm -hmm. Like I grew up in the church that did, like pulled the table out twice a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was very... Every, it was every like quarter maybe quarter. We did it once a quarter, yeah. 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 And now that we do it weekly, I think, yes, mm -hmm. this should be done weekly. Right. Mm -hmm. Can I throw in a little a bonus piece here for parents who are wondering what to do with a child who's professed faith, but they're not sure whether it was a genuine profession or whatever. Like no. you've got the five-year-old who's been baptized in professed faith. Um, uh, and people often want to hold off on having them partake of the Lord's Supper. And I would, I would, my perspective on it is if you have that profession of faith, then you act accordingly yes. mm -hmm. because you risk more by withholding no. the sacrament. Absolutely. Than by, that in yeah. the Lord's Supper is inextricably co connected to baptism. Mm -hmm. So like, right. <clears throat> that's why, in my opinion, I am a little bit more hardline on baptized believers taking communion is because the Lord's Supper is our weekly reaffirmation That's right. yeah. and reproclamation of covenant fidelity. Mm -hmm. And the reception of God's persevering grace right. that How, he promised to us in baptism. Yeah. And I always loved it. I mean, the historian in me says, like, it's also standing in line with believers behind us mm -hmm. yeah. or ahead of us. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, we're participating in this with them. And it's it, a reminder to get our heads it's out. An ancient Can table? I add a lightning round? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Can it be taken outside of the gathering? Of course it can. You can do whatever you want, ma'am. You're the boss. Does it have? <laughs> well, this is. Does it have to be administered by, like, who who administers it? That's the question. Well, yeah. Like, could you do this in a home group? Oh, you're asking. Yeah, this is what he's asking. Oh, this, this is the question. Is a, <laughs> oh, this that is, is a, not a lightning not round a question. No. The whole podcast. My, no, it's a yes or no <laughs> answer. Actually, my my my. my no, no, I just yes or no. My, can, can you take it outside of the gathering? I would say that it's inadvisable. I, I, and this has been the same. I have the same approach to baptism, so I'm consistent here. But if somebody says, "Hey, can we can we baptize somebody outside the gathering?" 
I, I taught the baptism class for two and a half years, three years at the Village Dallas. One of the most popular questions I got was, hey, I've got, I'd rather do this with my home group. Yeah. Well, and that was kind of a pragmatic thing for us, though, because of when celebration yeah. services fell. And listen, and it's one of those things where, as a church, the Village uh, has said it's not prescriptive. Like, we're not going to say that you must do this. My particular position is that baptism and the Lord's Supper are meant to be um, performed in the gathering of God's covenant people. I, so I agree. Under the authority of elders. Yeah, I agree. So Yeah, I agree Jen, with that. I, I, I don't have a strong opinion. You just don't want to say don't care again? Don't, I don't want to say that twice because <laughs> yeah. it makes me sound like I'm an uncaring person. And, yeah. and you're not. I don't want people to know that about me. No. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you administer at a wedding? Okay. <clears throat> oh, this was just, where did I just hear a discussion about this? I've I done it yesterday. at weddings. I know you have. I know I have. I'm asking you why. <sighs> because I'm weak. <laughs> <laughs> No, because when a bride is like, I really want to do this. At every, at, so at any time that I've sat with a couple that wanted to do this at their wedding, I say, listen, I'm, I, I will do this at your wedding. I would really encourage you to not do this. Sure. Now, here's, now, let me say something. I did this at our, we did this at our wedding. So we did we. We did I did this, too. Yeah. I didn't, but I, that was a long time ago. We I did, don't know. I would have had We did this at our wedding. I had not thought about it. Yeah. Why and, would you not do it? At a wedding? Yeah. Because it's just not a gathering of a local church underneath the authority of the elders that govern it. Yeah, this is an ordinance given specifically to the church. So so this is, I'm trying to I'm trying to put myself in position of listeners who are hearing this going, Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm getting I got married, married six months week, ago, right? or this is planned mm-hmm. for this weekend, and going, hey, you're not doing anything. No. Like, it, I, I was shame. No, no, no. Do not, don't. don't. I, I did it. Yeah. I'm, and honestly, it was an important, it was a meaningful part of our service. No. I think that my strong encouragement is that the Lord's Supper is to be administered by the elders or overseen by the elders of a local church within the context of a church's gathered life together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so. our traditional practice and what we think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's connected to discipline, to membership, to perseverance. Yeah. But it also is something that does fall under the category of Christian liberty. Like this is where our, maybe, maybe this is where your conscience is bound, but yeah. somebody else doesn't need to be. One, the, the other thing I'll mention here <clears throat> is that I, the part of the Corinthian, part, part of, Paul's concern, the Corinthian church, with the, the way the Lord's Supper is being played out, was that it was not being distributed equitably right. mm. with the full representation of the church. And this is the principle that underlies not just the eldership side or the membership side or the gathered side of this, but if I take it with my home group, there is a very strong chance that my home group is not a great representation of the full weight of our gathered body mm-hmm. and that it could quickly become the communion could quickly become something that is most meaningfully celebrated when the room is just the people you want to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And part of us taking point. coming to the table together is we take it with those who are strangers and shouldn't be, or those who are we are divided against and should seek unity from mm-hmm. before we take it. Yeah. Okay, would you be comfortable with a position that says, well, I think this is what you're saying. We think it should happen in the gathering, but there can be exceptions to the rule but if those become normative, then that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's fine. Okay. Of course, I'm not the end-all, be-all arbiter on this question. No, no, no. I'm just trying to make sure I nail down. Right. No, it's good. These are great questions. Listen, 
listeners, thank you for submitting great questions. These episodes always go long, and they're just kind of a junk drawer, a smattering <laughs> of every question under the sun. But we love that you've submitted questions. We love that you're listening to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. We will be back with new episodes in February. February, that seems so far away. February, see you next time. Grace and peace. <laughs>